Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey Spooksters and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Tara and as always I am here with my ghoul friend Jessica. Hey! Hello! And today we are bringing you another Spookster Club Select. Today's episode is dedicated to our patron, Jacqueline. And she has chosen a really creepy, creepy story that's kind of true crime, kind of just creepy. It just fits in very well. So this story is about a man widely known as Carl von Kossel. But as I went on to research in my head, I kept calling him Carl von Creepy. And that is now his name. (laughs) (laughs) If you are unfamiliar with this case, you'll soon find out why. So Carl's actual name is Carl Tanzler. And he was born on February 8th, 1877 in Dresden, Germany. Something I have to preface with this story and about him is that he was a big time liar. He liked to make up like random wild things about himself and his life. So what we know pretty much comes from him. It is kind of a bit on the iffy side. So do what you want with it. So like I said, he grew up in Germany and then was said to do some traveling. Supposedly, he went over to India at one point and then would end up in Australia. Now, according to his memoir slash autobiography called Fantastic Adventures, it said that Carl von Kossel traveled from India to Australia with the intention of pursuing to the South Sea Islands. And then this little passage says, quote, he paused in Australia to collect equipment and suitable boats and to become acquainted with prevailing weather and sea conditions. However, he became interested in engineering and electrical work there, bought property, boats in Oregon, an island in the Pacific, so that he was still in Australia at the end of 10 years. He had just begun to build a trans-ocean flyer when the war broke out and the British military authorities placed him in a concentration camp for safekeeping, along with many other officers from India and China who were prisoners of war. Later, he was removed to Trial Bay to a castle-like prison off the cliffs. And from there, the work in this narrative was accomplished. At the end of the war, no prisoner was permitted to return to his former residence, but all were shipped to the prisoners' exchange in Holland. When Carl van Kossel was released, he set out to find his mother, from whom he had not heard of since from the beginning of the war. Finding her safe, he remained with her for three years, witnessing the chaos that followed in the wake of the war. Finally, she suggests that her son return to his sister in the United States. 
end quote. And also, if that's not a whirlwind, according to Carl as well, he studied weather patterns in Austria in 1910. And along with this, he also claimed to have nine degrees, be a submarine captain, and a, quote, accomplished inventor. So while in Germany, and also some sources were saying Austria, he would meet Doris Schaefer, and the two would get married. They would have two daughters together named Aisha and Clarista. Sadly, Clarista died of diphtheria, which is a bacterial infection. It starts out not too serious. You get like a sore throat and a fever, but then in severe cases, which hers was, a gray or white patch develops in the throat, and I accidentally saw a picture, and it was gross, so ugh. But this can end up blocking the airway, and then you develop a barking cough, you know, like croup. From here, it says that the neck can swell due to the enlarged lymph nodes, and the complications with this may include inflammation of nerves, kidney problems, bleeding problems due to low levels of platelets, abnormal heart heart rate. And also on top of that, the inflammation of the nerves that can end up causing paralysis, which is really, really scary. So definitely serious stuff. And then the family, they would actually move to Florida in 1926. They had moved there because like I mentioned, the mom said his sister lived in the U.S. and this is where she was. But shortly after this, Carl decided to dip and he got hired at the U.S. Marine Hospital in Key West. And when he got this new job, he was said to, this is when he decided to change his name to Carl Von Kossel. And at the hospital, he worked as essentially a radiology tech. It's like an x-ray tech. And while working there at the hospital on April 22nd, 1930, he would meet a patient named Maria Elena Milagro de Hoyos. She goes by Elena, so that's what she's going to be called. And she was 21 at the time and had come in with her mother to have an exam done due to being very ill. And her tests would actually conclude that she had tuberculosis, which very dangerous for the time, as we've talked about in other episodes. Now, a little about Elena. Her family dealt with quite a bit of tragedy. Like, this family had bad luck. She was described as a very beautiful woman, and she was really pretty from the pictures I saw. And her parents were Francisco Pancho Hoyos and Aurora Milagro. And she had two sisters, Florinda and Celia. Now, Florinda would later die of TB in the 40s, and her husband Mario was actually electrocuted trying to rescue a co-worker who hit a power line with his crane at one of the construction sites they were at during the mid-30s. But Elena, though, she was actually married to a man named Luis Mesa on February 18th, 1926, but he would end up leaving her shortly after she suffered a miscarriage of their child. He just up and left. He moved to Miami. They didn't even get divorced. They were actually legally married the rest of her life. Fucking horrific for him to do that. Right. I read that and I was like, are you fucking kidding me? That reminded me of the Whaley house when that one dude just like up and left her there on their honeymoon or whatever. Right. Like, bye. Yeah. Jesus. But back to our story. So Carl had said when they came in that she was there for the exam and everything, but that he instantly knew this was his soulmate. Now, you might think, whoa, what the fuck? Calm down. Well, there's more. So according to Carl, growing up, he had been visited by Countess Anna Constantita von Kossel. I was like, who the hell is that? So one of the articles I was reading said she was a, quote, German lady-in-waiting and noblewoman and mistress of Augustus the Strong, King of Poland, and elector of Saxony. 
Company in 1706 through 1713. And eventually, there's some tea with this, he turned against her and exiled her to Saxony, where she died after 49 years of internal exile, end quote. I'm like, okay, random as shit. So Carl had said that he was having visions, basically, and this countess visited him in his dreams and showed him the face of his one true love. And this one true love was a, quote, exotic dark hair woman. So when he saw Elena, who was beautiful and Cuban and young and, you know, just like pretty, all that shit, he was like, oh, it's her. It's her. I don't know how I'd feel about that if I was her. Be like, oh, Okay. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. This love affair, if you want to call it that, is very one-sided. <laughs> she did not have those feelings back to him. It was basically said that every, like, all the articles I was reading was saying that Elena just dealt with him, but did not like him. And Carl would spend tons of money on her, on her medication, on tonics to try to help her, and even illegally purchased x-ray machines and other medical equipment stuff to take over to Elena's house. And on top of that, he showered her with gifts and would always be like professing his love to her and all this crap. So obviously she put up with it to probably in hopes to, you know, get over tuberculosis, I would assume, you know, if he's going to provide the resources. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Carl was also said to have gotten sick while taking care of her as well, but he lived through it. So I don't know. Now, sadly, Elena would die on October 25th, 1931 due to the tuberculosis. Carl insisted on paying for all of the funeral expenses, the mortician to prepare her body. And then also he paid for the construction of an above ground stone mausoleum at the Key West Cemetery. And her family was like, uh, okay, sure, go for it. But what they didn't know was that Carl's sneaky and he got a key to the mausoleum and he had the only copy. Like, they didn't know this was a thing. The first two years after her death, he would visit the mausoleum every single night. Night? Every night for two years. That's creepy. Right? As fuck. Right? I don't like the words at night. <laughs> In the evening, I understand. At night? No, thank you. Yeah. But then eventually he would say that Elena would come back from the, quote, spirit world and visit him. And during these visits, she told him he needed to take her body from the mausoleum. So he did. He would literally end up loading up her body in a toy wagon, like a red wagon. No. Yeah. What? <laughs> I'm just like imagining this. I'm so horrified. I'm laughing because it's so... Cringe? Horrific. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine the police having to like get this story down and they're like, in a what? In a red flyer wagon. Got it. Mm -hmm. In a toy wagon. And so he loaded her up and took her back to his house. After this, he obviously stopped going to the mausoleum and he also eventually got fired from work. Now, I don't know if it's related to what he was doing with Elena or what. Sources weren't really sure if this was related or like he got fired. So then it's like, OK, forget it. let's take her back to the house. You know what I'm saying? Like people aren't sure exactly how this fits in. But the point is, he also got fired from work and her family, of course, thought this was totally weird. But they were like, oh, OK, maybe he's like either depressed or busy doing trying to find another job. OK, whatever. Crazy dude. Bye. Like not worried about it, you know? Well, after bringing her body home, Carl got on to work on preserving her. He did a lot of stuff. He attached her bones together with piano wire and gave her glass eyes. 
since it had been two years at this point, or, you know, going over two years, her skin obviously was beginning to decompose as expected, and he would replace it with silk cloth soaked in wax and this stuff called plaster of Paris, which is said to be like a building material used for protective or decorative coating on walls and ceilings for the molding. And since her hair was also falling out, he actually made a wig from her hair that he had previously gotten from Elena's mom because she had, like, given him some of the hair at the funeral or something. Is this still during the time of, like, hair wreaths? It's the 30s. No, not really. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't think so. Culturally, maybe? Maybe. Anyway, so on top of that, he also filled the abdominal and chest cavities with rags to keep her original form. And... He would dress her body in stockings, jewelry, gloves, clothes, all of that, and he kept her in his bed. Yes, they slept together in the bed. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. Later, a much later exam would happen on her body, and they would find a paper tube that was said to be made for penetration in her vaginal cavity. No! Yeah. This is not right. Yeah, I don't think I need to say any more on that. Mm -mm. So you're probably wondering, okay, well, she's decomposing. So what would he do about like the smell and stuff? Because obviously neighbors would notice. Well, he would use like tons of perfumes, disinfectants, different preserving agents, pretty much everything he could to try to stop the smell and then the process of decomp. He does have medical knowledge, obviously. So, you know. But rumors and, you know, whispers around town would start about Carl. One being because everybody knew he was not with his wife or, you know, with anything or anyone anymore, you know, anything like that. But he would go to the store regularly and buy women's clothes, the jewelry and everything else I already mentioned. So people were like, okay, that's weird. But the more damning thing, once everyone started putting two and two together, was that one of the neighborhood boys actually saw Carl through the window dancing in his house with what the kid called a giant doll. But I'm sure y'all can guess it was Elena. So all of this was coming up and coming together and Elena's family obviously heard about it. So Florinda decided to go over to Carl's house and confront him. And once she did, she saw her sister's body. And of course, she notified the authorities and he was arrested. Now, they did do a psychiatric exam on him, and they found him mentally competent to stand trial. The charges he had was of, quote, wantonly and maliciously destroying a grave and removing a body without authorization, end quote. And the preliminary hearing would take place on October 9th of 1940 at the Monroe County Courthouse there in Key West. And he was held to, you know, be present for it and everything like that. And he was actually, he took the stand. And this is what makes this, like, you think we cannot have more crazy spicing up this story, but we're going to. So he had said that he planned to make a spacecraft and take her, quote, high into the stratosphere so that the radiation from outer space would penetrate Elena's tissues and would restore life to her form, end quote. You heard that right. So the aliens can fix her. This is like heaven's gates before heaven's gate. (laughs) She's 95% rag. I don't mean that it sounds so like cruel or whatever, but it's like, what were they going to regenerate? Yeah, at this point, it's not, you know, her physical form very much left. Like, oh, 
So, of course, with him, you know, carrying on about all that, this caught media attention. The biggest publications were the Key West Citizen and the Miami Herald, but it did spread nationwide. Even if this happened today, we'd still be all like, what the fuck? You know, I mean, obviously, (laughs) we're acting like that right now. And somehow the weird thing was people were actually sympathetic to Carl, which would not be what would happen fucking now. It was said that they viewed him as a, quote, eccentric romantic. Oh, people would be like, crucify that motherfucker. Now, you're probably like, what the fuck, because of all of this, especially the tube thing I told you about. But fun fact, the tube thing was not known about back then. The tube thing actually did not come out until these two doctors, Dr. DePoo and Dr. Foraker, had found this in 1972. So I'm not sure if, like, they were re-looking at her body or, or, like, not her body, but maybe the autopsy reports and stuff. I don't know. I mean, technically, they could have looked at her body because he had done such a good job of, like, preserving it. Well, no, not really. We'll get to that in a minute. Oh. But I was reading, like, not everybody believes that it was there. So I hope for the sake of Elena, this wasn't a thing and that did not happen to her body. I really, really hope not. But even without that, it's still fucking creepy, this whole thing. And uh, with that said, his case was actually dropped and he was released due to the statute of limitations for the crime had expired. I don't know how long they were. Fucking Florida, what the fuck? Because that's like less than 10 years. So like, what the fuck? But okay. So (laughs) probably wondering what happened after, right? Well, Elena's body was actually looked at by, you know, doctors and pathologists, of course, and they decided to put her on display. Oh, no. That's sad. It is. And they put her on display at the Dean Lopez funeral home. Over 6,800 people went and saw her. And eventually this would end, thank God. And she would be transported back to the Key West Cemetery where she would actually be laid to rest in an unmarked grave so no one would disturb her. So that's why I was like, I don't think the them looking actually looking at her body was probably a thing because like it's an unmarked grave. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. And that's smart too because if he got released, like he's going to be like looking for her. Yes, because you want to know what happened after they were done with the display? He actually tried to ask them if he could have her body back. They told him no, obviously. I'm sorry. Like that moment, like, are you done? Can I have it? And they're like, no, sir. Yeah, right? Fucking what the fuck? So in 1994, he would move over to Pasco County, Florida, which was close to where he had originally stayed with his ex-wife, estranged wife. I don't even know if they actually got divorced. But anyway, he wrote this memoir that I quoted earlier about like all the prisoner stuff. And apparently the wife, you know, Doris, that he just up and ditched, she helped take care of him when he was older. Oh. Yeah, I'm like, okay. I don't know. I don't know. He also uh, would obtain his United States citizenship in 1950, but the creepiness doesn't stop because it just can't. He actually created a life-size effigy of Elena and lived with it up until his death when he was 75 on July 3rd, 1952, and his body was discovered on the floor of his home three weeks after he died. That's not even it. There's more. There's always more. When they found his body, he had the effigy, so the Elena 2.0, her arms wrapped around him. But then, of course, the obituary and the newspaper, because, you know, his family's like, we ain't fucking saying this shit. They just put he owned organs, like playing organ, that he died. I don't know if they were trying to say he got squished or what happened or fell, but that's what they went with. So, yeah, I'll let you be the judge of what you think. I think it, uh, he was probably cuddling with the effigy. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and the organ fell on him. Yeah, who knows? Could be. That's the story I'm going with. <laughs> right? With that, though, some people who are like kind of conspiracy theorists about it say that he did get Elena's body back and it was actually her, not an effigy. But I sincerely, sincerely hope it was not. In like retrospect, he could have just made the effigy to 
begin with. Right. I mean, if the outer space thing was legit, like he really thought that the whole time he probably thought he was preserving her long enough to go to outer space. Like, oh, my God. Which means he should not have been deemed sane. But here we are. So, yeah, that is the case of Carl von Kossel and his love, Elena. That was a whirlwind of a one. And the more I read it, I'm like, how do things like this happen in real life? I don't understand. (laughs) Me either. That's insane. That's a crazy story. Literally. I thought so, too. Goodness. Oh, gosh. So, again, thank you to Jacqueline for choosing this as your dedicated episode. Also, thank you so much, Jacqueline, for supporting the show. We seriously appreciate you so, so much. If you would like to have your own dedicated episode or would like to support the show, you can head to the show notes and check out our link tree or go to patreon.com backslash three spooked girls. And with that, y'all, we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.